Please join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you came not for the well, but the sick. That you came to call the sinners, not the righteous. So Lord, help us to hear your voice calling us to follow your Son, Jesus Christ. And thank you for the invitation to sit with him at the table. And Lord, give us and a fresh love to share the good news of the gospel with those whom you are still seeking and pursuing. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. If you are anything like me, you can look back over the course of your life and think of various difficult seasons and moments when you were sitting often by yourself, pondering, how in the world did I get here? When everything around you seems to be falling apart, whether at a job or in a relationship with a spouse, a child, a friend. The irony is it's not uncommon during these times that your life is the envy of, those, of some of those around you. People come up to you and they say, I wish I had what you had. And you smile back and think to yourself, you have no idea. But in those seasons of life, God has a way of noticing us as he's passing by. Sometimes he uses friends, sometimes family members, sometimes acquaintances and and even strangers. One of the most vivid times that this happened to me was when I was a freshman in college. At that time of my life, I was clinically depressed and no longer wanted to live. I was angry and I felt very alone. And yet I had good friends and I was at a prestigious art school on my way to pursue my lifelong dream to be a famous cartoonist. Well, one afternoon, I was sitting on one of the benches in the courtyard of the campus, and I was distraught. And as the hours passed, I just wondered, does anyone even notice me here? And a man, uh, a student, but he was seven years older than me, walked by, and as he passed by, he stopped and he turned around and he saw me sitting there and he said, hey man, is everything okay? This man had a black leather motorcycle jacket, blue jeans, cowboy boots, he had a ponytail that went down to the middle of his back and he was smoking a cigarette. And there began a conversation that lasted for hours. I shared with him my life story, and he shared his story with me. He was a recovered alcoholic and drug addict. And that day, he convinced me God loved me just as I was. His name was Tom, and he and I became friends and spent a lot of time together. And I look back at that moment as a time when my heart opened up and was more receptive to hear the gospel. Tom was not a Christian. 
And yet that conversation was the spark that three to four months later, I acknowledged my sin and confessed Christ as my Lord and Savior. In our text this morning, we're looking at Jesus who was passing by and noticed Levi sitting in his tax booth. And he invited him to come follow him. Excuse me. In verse 13, we see that Jesus is walking beside the sea, teaching as the crowds were coming to him. And this is an important transition because it's a reoccurring theme in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus performs a miracle, he withdraws, but the crowds follow him. We see this in chapter 1 when he heals the leper, in chapter 2 when he heals the paralytic, and in chapter 3 when he heals the man with the withered hand. He has a great victory, he withdraws, and the crowds just keep following him. And it's a very rabbinic thing to do to walk along and to be teaching. In Deuteronomy 6, we, we are familiar with the Shema and, and the call to say, if we love God's commandments, we will teach them when we, when we sit, when we lie down, when we walk along. Mark, whose gospel is the shortest of the four, also is careful to point out that Levi is the son of Alphaeus. Now, this could just be giving historical validity to his gospel account. But some think that Mark pointed this out because to his original readers, there are those who knew Alphaeus. Now, I was telling this to my daughter, Brielle, and she says, oh yeah, I can relate to that. When people introduce me, they say, this is Brielle, Jack's daughter. But why is that important? Well, it's because Levi, who we know as Matthew, was a tax collector. Now, tax collectors were one of, if not the most despised people to the Jews. In rabbinic commentary, they were listed among murderers and robbers. They were not permitted to be a judge or witness on the court. They were excommunicated from the synagogue. They were a disgrace to their family and ashamed by the community. And so this booth that Levi is sitting in is like a booth of shame. They were known to be extortioners, often profiting by collecting more than what was actually owed. And as such, They were wealthy and had a lavish lifestyle. But above all, the reason that tax collectors were hated was because they were Jewish and they were working for the enemy, the Roman Empire, or in this case, Herod Antipas. They were viewed as traitors, cheating their own people. And so this is a booth of shame. In verse 14, we see that Jesus notices Levi as he passed by, and he calls him to follow him. And what is Levi's response? He rose, and he followed him. This is no small thing. It can be argued that Levi gave up the most out of the 12 disciples. 
while the others, if all things failed, they could have gone back to fishing or some other trade. But Levi could not go back and reclaim this post. This was a prized position among those who wanted to uh, be extortioners. And he left that lavish lifestyle. Now, some of you might be saying, well, Jack, he had his wealth back at his home. I mean, come on. But that's not the case. Most of the early church fathers all testify that Levi, Matthew, died as a martyr, preaching the gospel in a foreign country. He never went back home. Ironically, Levi was prepared for the cost of following Christ. He knew what it meant to be separated and rejected by most due to his identity. And yet now he would no longer sit in a booth of shame, taking from others to benefit himself. He would go on to write one of the Gospels and share the good news with millions upon millions of people over 2,000 years. You see, Jesus will meet you right where you are, sitting in your safe, comfortable booth. And it very well may be a booth of shame. It may be the booth of, of your little kingdom. But he is not too busy to miss you as he passes by. Now, some of you might be thinking, no, there's no way that Jesus would call me to follow him. He knows how bad of a mess I am. He would tell me how wretched I am. He would come up to me and say, how can you do this to God? But that is not the heart of God. We read earlier in the first reading about Hosea, and God tells Hosea to marry an adulterous woman, a prostitute, who kept going after other men. And God declares in chapter 2, I will allure her and lead her into the wilderness. And if we could just pause there for a moment and just ask the question, and what will God do when he gets her into the wilderness, when he removes her from everyone else? Is he going to yell at her? Is he going to point out her shame and her guilt no. God says, I will speak tenderly to her. I will turn the valley of Accor, the valley of trouble, into a door of hope. This is the good news of the gospel for all sinners. Jesus meets us sitting in booths of shame, but he invites us to rise up and follow him. But there are some who don't see it this way. Sometimes even Christians, they believe God's grace is only for those who listen and obey him. Some of these even trust in their own goodness. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever known anyone to feel that way? If we look at verses 15 through 17, we see where Jesus invites us to rise up from our booths of shame 
from that sitting in the booth of shame to sitting with him at the table. It's not shocking that tax collectors and sinners were sitting with Jesus, eating and talking. It was scandalous that Jesus was willing to sit and eat and talk with them. And the scribes of the Pharisees, who were clearly offended, but too scared to talk to Jesus directly, asked the disciples, what is he doing, eating and drinking with those tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus, having heard them ask this question, turns to them, and he says a well-known proverb at that time. Those who are well aren't in need of a physician, but those who are sick. And then he takes it one step further, and he applies it spiritually. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, if that isn't a mic drop, I don't know what is. That is one of the most profound statements that Jesus makes in all of the New Testament. See, many people assume we must come after having cleaned ourselves up before God will love us, before he will even notice us. Some are even proud of their attempts to clean themselves up, while others believe they can never be clean enough. And yet in this one statement, Jesus confronts both of those assumptions. Who loved who first? Who makes you righteous? Who promises to make you a fisher of men and women? Who calls you out of your booth to come and follow him and sit with him at the table? Jesus dining with tax collectors and sinners is a beautiful picture of communion, and of the future great banquet that he promises. Those of you who identify as baptized followers of Jesus, I encourage you this morning, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, think of Levi, who went from his sitting position and rose and got out and followed Jesus and came to a place where he then sat at the table. Come as redeemed sinners with expectation that Christ is present and he loves you. And for those of you who don't identify as Christians, listen to the call of Christ. What makes Christianity so unique is not that God saves sinners. It's that God saves them as sinners. I encourage you as well to come up and receive prayer. Hear the Lord's call to follow him. Come out of your booth. Leave your old life behind and follow Jesus. Now, by way of application, I want to leave you with these two questions. The first, when was the last time, if you are a Christian, that you had an unbelieving family come to your house for a meal? You were genuinely interested in their life, but not afraid to share your faith. 
One author writes, association with degraded and vicious characters is sin or duty according to the purpose of it. To go down in the filth in order to wallow there is vile. But to go down in order to lift others up is Christ's mission and Christ-like. The second question I would ask of you is to, when was the last time you asked the Lord, God, make me ready to share Christ with others whom I pass by. This could be when you're out doing errands at the supermarket or at your place of employment with a neighbor or on a college campus. My friend Tom, who was not a Christian, when he found out that I became a Christian, was very uncomfortable with my faith, and he actually removed himself from me in friendship. By the time we graduated, we were on friendly terms, but nowhere near where we were those, that first year. And by the time I graduated college and left to go from Florida up to New Jersey, he was not in my address book anymore. Nearly three years passed, I was now married, and one night I had a dream about Tom. And in my dream, I picked up a phone back in the day when it was the buttons, and I started dialing his number. Only in the dream, I could only remember the area code and the first three digits. I could not remember in my dream those last four numbers. And it was agonizing. And I woke up from the dream, and I could not stop thinking about Tom. And so I prayed, and I said, God, if you want me to call Tom, you have to help me remember his phone number. If you help me remember his phone number, I promise I will call Tom. Well, you need to be careful what you promise to God. <laughs> because that night, I had the same exact dream. It was the same exact phone, and I dialed his number, and I remembered his entire phone number. And I remember at the moment, I've told this story so many times, I remember the details. That's how I remember it so well. I remember like wanting to wake up from the dream so that I could write it down. And then I spent a week scared to call Tom. But I finally did, and he answered the phone. And within minutes, I found out that Tom was not in good shape. He was back into drugs. He was back into alcohol. His wife had divorced him. And collectors were calling him constantly. And he cried to me on the phone, explaining this to me. So I told him about my dream, and I said, please don't get freaked out by this. And I said, Tom, do you remember seven years ago when you told me about the love of God? It changed my life. Would you please let me tell you about the love of Jesus? And he agreed. I shared with him. I prayed with him, and I hung up the phone. And I cried. Sixteen years went that I did not talk to Tom again. And just a few years ago, I thought of him again, and I looked him up on the internet, and I found his number again. And I called him, and Tom, with great joy, 
said, do you remember, you remember when you called me and that really cool dream you had? And I said, yeah, yeah. He goes, man, after that call, things got infinitely worse. <laughs> he says, but Jack, I've quit the booze. I'm sober and I'm in love with Jesus. And Tom is a Christian today. Jesus is not too busy to notice you while you're sitting in your booth as he's passing by. Even though you may see the crowds, he sees you and he invites you to come from sitting in your booth to follow him and to sit with him at the table. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for sinners. Apart from you, we can do nothing good. And we're so grateful, God, that you notice us and you invite us into a relationship with you through your Son, Jesus Christ. God, help us to hear that call loud and clear and to respond with the same faith, the same courage as Levi to leave all things behind and to be with you, to know that you will make us into the man or woman you created us to be, to bring glory to you, and to then go out and share the good news with others. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.